0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for keeping those who have come safe. We pray, Father, for those who are, are on their way for the next service, Lord, and just pray that you keep them in your power safe All the way here. Lord, thank you once again for the weather that you have provided. It's beautiful. It makes us all children once again in wonder. Now, Father, we just pray that our hearts would be unified and joined in one accord as we consider your word and as we take these elements that speak of your love for us, the things that bind us together. In Jesus' name, amen. A man woke up one morning and was shocked to find that his name was placed in the local newspaper, in the obituary column. Of course, not being dead, he walked down to the editor and was angry, livid, actually, and said, "Uh, What's the deal with this? Obviously, I'm not dead. You've made a grave mistake. This is horrible. Uh, I'm going to face embarrassment. I may lose business. The editor apologized, said, it is a mistake, please forgive us. But the man didn't let up, he was unreasonable and demanded more. Finally, the editor looked at him and said, look, tell you what, tomorrow I'll place your name in the newspaper in the birth column and give you a brand new start. (laughs) New Year's sort of represents a fresh start. Charles Lamb even said, New Year's Day is every man's birthday and so once a year we go through the same celebration out with the old and in with the new it's actually one of the oldest customs around the world is celebrating new year's day the trouble is not everybody agrees when the new year begins over in china new year's day is anywhere between january The 17th through February 19th, depending on where the new moon falls. According to the Jewish calendar, it's not even 2006 going into 2007. The year is 5767, because they date it from the time of creation. And the new year is the first of the Hebrew month Tishri, which is around September-October. If you and I were living in the Middle Ages, we would celebrate the New Year on March the 25th until the Gregorian calendar was accepted, and then the date became January the 1st. So all sorts of ideas, when it is, we celebrate it January the 1st. And the way people celebrate it are different. Over in Europe, they'll celebrate it with fireworks, fireworks, Out in Pasadena, California, they'll have the Rose Parade, followed by the Rose Bowl, the famous football game. In New York City, at Times Square, they put down every year this huge 1,070-pound, 6-foot-in-diameter Waterford Crystal that starts at 11.59 and takes one minute to make its descent toward the bottom, supposedly at exactly 12 o'clock at midnight, the beginning of 2007. That thing hits the bottom. Actually, though, the marking of time is artificial. That is, time really doesn't pause. There's no moment of silence from one day to the next, or one year to the next, or one month to the next. It just marches on continually without stop. And though we have observed seasons and moons and sunrises, etc., and we mark time, The marking of time is rather arbitrary, and yet here we are, the end of what we call a year, the beginning of what we're about to call 2007. And we have marked it out, and we have said, you have a year. You have 8,766 hours to play with, to work with, that we will call the new year. I guess we love the idea of New Year for the same reason we love Sundays or four seasons, because it represents a brand new start. There's a seed of hope that things are going to be different, that we can make changes from one year to the next. In Joshua chapter 3, where I've had you turn this morning, Israel is on the threshold of a new experience, one that has been on their minds, it has been the subject of their conversation for 40 years, they're about to enter a brand new land that God had promised. They've been out in the desert for 40 years under the leadership of Moses, and now under the leadership of Joshua, they cross the Jordan River, or they're about to, and enter into the new land. They don't exactly know what to expect, and it's sort of like us. We're on the threshold not of a new land, but of that new demarcation of time called the new year. So what can we expect? Well, you can expect some of the same experiences that Israel was expecting as they were on the brink, on the edge of that promised land. The first thing you and I can expect in the upcoming year is some uncertainties. Some uncertainties. Would you look with me at chapter 3 of Joshua? The first four verses. Here's the story. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from the acacia grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, Then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. So 3,000 feet or 1,000 yards by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. I like the Living Bible's rendering of the last part of verse 4. It reads, you have never before been where we are going now. Up until this moment, Israel for 40 years has marched through the desert in a pretty predictable pattern. It was pretty easy, actually. During the day, they followed a cloud. At night, they followed a pillar of fire. That's gone. All that they knew in terms of of being led is over. They're about to cross into a new land, a new experience. The cloud and the pillar of fire is gone, and those predictable years of wandering in the desert are over. And so no doubt, certain questions filled their minds. Like, well, what's this new land going to be like? Where are we going to settle? What are the people going to be like? Is there good shopping in the new land? You know, all the important questions that people have in a new experience. And here we are at the brink of a new year with some questions we've never been this way before either we haven't gone where we're about to go as well and so we have questions what's the interest rate going to be like in the new year how is my family going to do in the new year what's going to happen internationally in the middle east post-saddam what's going to happen in the short run and in, in the long run Well, because of those kinds of questions, because of the uncertainty of the future and people's desire to know the future, throughout history, there have been all sorts of methods designed to help people know the certainty of an uncertain future. Go way back in history, during the Grecian times. uh, The Greeks would consult oracles to find out the future. They would travel to certain temples Uh, Some of us were at a temple several months ago in Didyma, Turkey. Um, There was the uh, oracle at Delphi. These were people who were in temples who gave authoritative predictions for one's future, supposedly directly from the gods and hopefully directly from Zeus, the chief god himself. The Romans developed an interesting prophecy by chicken, I guess you'd call it. They they put a hen in a cage, and they would set food in the cage, and if the hen went after the food avidly, it was a good omen. If the hen was indifferent, it was a bad sign. Another method the ancients developed was called heptomancy. They took livers of sacrificial animals and examined the livers, and according to whatever manifested on the surface of this Organ, this liver, that foretold their future. now, I know you, you hear those stories and you think, Well, those are ridiculous. Nobody does that kind of stuff anymore. Well, there are ten thousand astrologers registered in the United States of america it 's a two hundred million dollar per year business it 's big business. People have a desire to know what the future Holds. They don't deal well with uncertainty. But I ask you, would you really want to know all of the details about this coming year? I mean, if somebody close to you was going to die, would you want to know that six, seven, eight, nine, ten months in advance, all the details? To carry that kind of a burden would be excruciating. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14, Solomon writes, When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider. God has made one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. In other words, God wisely withholds all of the details and the information of your future so as not to overwhelm you in your future. So as you look ahead, as I look ahead, there are some uncertainties. One thing we do know about the future is we don't have to be a pessimist about it. We don't have to be unrealistically an optimist about it. We can be a biblical realist and and understand God's in charge. Somebody once said, an optimist stays up until midnight to see the new year in. A pessimist stays up till midnight to make sure the old year leaves. But I would add to that, a biblicist can go to sleep and sleep well all night knowing that God's in control. As Corrie ten Boom used to say, never be afraid to entrust an unknown future into the hands of a known God. You know God. You know the kind of Lord He is, the kind of master you serve. Whatever is uncertain about your future, that's okay. Place it in his hands. You know the character of the God you serve. So you can expect some uncertainties. Number two, you and I, like Israel, can expect some difficulties. We've already noted one of them in our text for the nation of Israel. That was the Jordan River. They came to the border of the land. They couldn't cross it because there was an uncrossable chasm of water. There was no bridge across it, no roadway. There was water, and so they stopped. They couldn't cross it. Now, during most of the year, the Jordan River isn't a big deal to cross. You know, if you came to the edge of the Rio Grande River, if you were an army of people, you wouldn't say, Well, we can't go any further. This is just too uncrossable. You can wade across that river. Many have. The Jordan River isn't a big deal. It's only about 100 feet wide, but Down in our text, in verse 15, there's an interesting remark. It says it's flood season during that time, the time they wanted to cross. And at flood season, which was early spring, March or April in that part of the land, it was the the, uh, month of Nisan, the time of the barley harvest, the Jordan River can be up to a mile wide and quite rapid. So they faced an impassable situation. It was a difficulty. Just getting into the land was tough. And I predict that in this coming year, you're going to face some, what looks like an uncrossable, impassable, impossible situation. A Jordan River, if you will. Some will have internal Jordan Rivers. That is, you have some... Uh, character, some flaw in your own nature, some uh, bent or propensity that you are dealing with still that gets in the way. It seems impossible to conquer. Others of you will face an external kind of a Jordan, maybe a disease, a physical ailment, or problems with a loved one, or a marital situation, or a disability, or a debt. And every time you look at that situation... That river, you get depressed. You think, oh no, this is impossible, impassable, uncrossable. It's a difficulty. If you look down in verse 10 with me for just a moment, there are some more difficulties they were to face. There's a whole list of formidable enemies that live in the very land they're about to occupy. Now keep in mind, this is called the promised land. Listen to the promised land and who's in it. There are Canaanites, in verse 10, and Hittites, and Hivites, and Perizzites, and Girgashites, and Termites. Oh, they're not there. And Amorites, and Jebusites. All of those ites are people groups that were enemies of Israel. And get this, this was the land God promised. This was their inheritance. And yet, as soon as they cross over the first difficulty of the river, they enter into a land of enemies. Difficulty after difficulty. Now, you probably know where I'm heading with this, and you might be tempted to ask. Now, wait a minute, Skip. Are you telling me that this is what the Bible says I can expect in my new year that God is leading me into? Exactly. Jesus put it this way to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 God gives the sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Being a part of this earth, this time, you'll have a mix of good and bad. Uncertainties and even difficulties in the next year. But there's something else you can expect. Just like the children of Israel could expect. There will be some uncertainties. There will be some difficulties. However, you can expect some victories go down to verse 5 for a moment and joshua said to the people sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the lord will do wonders among you and joshua spoke to the priests saying take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people so they took the ark of the covenant and went before the people scoot down to verse 10 we only read the second part look at the whole Context and Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out from before you all of these ites that we already mentioned. So Joshua predicts that one of the experiences they're going to have in the land of inheritance is a time of victory. Victory. God once opened the Red Sea for them. They walked over on dry ground. Now God says, I'm going to open up another river, the Jordan River, and you're going to walk over on dry land. And then once you get over there, in the midst of all of these difficulties, the enemies, don't worry. I'll drive them out from before you. You'll engage in a battle. The men will go out to battle. They'll kiss their wives goodbye. They'll wonder if they'll ever see their babies' faces again. But they'll return They'll conquer the land, I'll give them victory, I'll go before you. So God promises uncertainties, some difficulties, but also here some victories. That's what you and I can expect in the months ahead. Uncertainties? Sure. Difficulties? No question. But there will be some victories as well. Wonderful victories. You can expect them. You can anticipate them. You can stand upon those promises. You know, if we could take a vote, and God won't let that happen, if we could take a vote as to program our lives, we would say, you know, I I like the second part, and I vote for that, the victories, but I'd like to vote to take away all the difficulties in my life. If we could have that choice, that's how we would program life. We would say, I want victory after victory after victory. But think about it. You can't have a victory unless you have a battle. The word victory implies that there has been a struggle, and you have won the struggle. So there has to be some kind of difficulty in order for you to have a victory. What did David pray in Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk, through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say, even though I walk around the valley of the shadow of death, we'd all love to do that. He didn't say, yea, though I be airlifted from the valley of the shadow of death, no, I'm going to walk through it. And God this year will have some difficulties for you and I to walk through so that you might be victorious in the midst of it. I love what Reader's Digest put out years ago, and I've remembered it ever since. They said, expecting not to be treated badly just because you're a good person is like expecting an angry bull not to attack you just because you're a vegetarian. (laughs) Hey, I'm a good person. Why does this happen? Jesus said, God sends the rain and the sun on the just and the unjust alike. And, when the angry bull does attack the real question is how do you respond how do you deal with it and even more important perhaps is what can you learn from that difficulty that will bring you victory you've all heard the name Thomas Edison did you know on December back in 1914 His entire New Jersey laboratory was burned to the ground. He was age 67. He was in the midst of some of his finest experimentations. Everything burned to the ground. And the following day, on that cold December morning, he was walking through the ashes of his ex-laboratory. And these were his words. There is great value in disaster. All of our mistakes are burned up. And thank God we can start anew. That was victory. He learned. He responded well. So what can you expect this year? Uncertainties. You haven't walked this way before. Difficulties. Uncrossable, impossible situations. Enemies in the land. But victories. Don't shy away from the battles. Fourth and finally, before we take the Lord's Supper, you can expect... Some wonderful possibilities. And I'm going to give you three possibilities as we close here this morning. Possibility number one, you can walk with God's presence. Back in verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand on the Jordan. Now here's just a little note. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned here. Remember that box that kept the commandments of God? The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 16 times in chapters 3 and 4 of Joshua. And here's why. The Ark was always a symbol of God's presence. In Exodus 25, God said, Only on top of the ark, the mercy seat, only there will I meet with you and commune with you. That's where I hang out while I'm on earth. And so during the wilderness wanderings, the ark went before the people. Here at the Jordan River, the ark is going before the people. It was a symbol that God's presence is going with them and before them, taking care of the situations. Back in Numbers chapter 10, we read that whenever the children of Israel would begin to march and the ark would be lifted up by the priests and would start the procession, that Moses would say these words, Rise up, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered. In other words, wherever they would walk, they would walk with the consciousness of God's presence with them. So, hey, Joshua, I was with Moses and he knew it and I'm with you so you can walk with God's presence. Now, let me caution you. There will be times this year when you won't feel God's presence with you. And this sort of befuddles some younger Christians. They go, I don't think God's with me anymore. How come? How come you think that? I don't feel Him. Now, so what? You know, yesterday I walked outside. I didn't feel the sun. This morning, I barely see it. They say it's coming. But what if I were to walk outside yesterday and and say, I think the sun left. It's never coming back. Or the sun really doesn't exist anymore. Well, Why do you say that? Well, I don't feel it. I don't see it. Well, it's still there even though there's a cloud cover. And so it is with the presence of God. Whether you see it or feel it at the time really isn't the issue. God is there not because I feel Him, but because God said He'd be there. You can walk in that possibility of God's presence with you. Number two, you can walk with firm confidence in the future. You can walk with firm confidence. Verse 13. It shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. And down in verse 17, they did that and the water stopped. It's as soon as the feet were in the water, they got their feet wet, you might say, that the water stopped. So, here's my question. How far did the priests have to get into the water before the waters opened up? Now, could it be that when it just touched their toes, a phoom, the water subsided? Did they have to go down to their ankles? Did the water get up to their knees? And they're thinking as they're carrying the ark, I hope this happens really soon. Because I look like a fool walking into the water with this big box. The point is this. God promised the waters would open. However, they had to get their feet wet first. It wasn't like the Red Sea, where God opened it up first, provided dry ground, and then they walked through. No, they had to demonstrate their trust in God by walking in the wet water, the muddy ground. And then, once they did that, the water stopped and the ground became firm under their feet. So, the possibility for you and I in this coming year that you can walk with firm confidence even though you'll have certain situations like this, you'll say, this is impossible. This is impossible. Could it be that you're facing an incredible opportunity that's just cleverly disguised as an impossibility? And God is saying, get your feet wet. I've given you a promise. Stand on it and there'll be firm ground. But you get out there first. Here's the perspective I want you to live with in this coming year. Consider who it is giving you the order. You see, these Israelites could have said, This is impossible. We're going to get into the water. It's still going to be wet. But consider who it was that gave you the order. It was God. And with that perspective, it's different. So when God says to you concerning your marriage or concerning your debt problem or concerning whatever issue you face if he gives you biblical orders to walk in obedience, and he'll be just saying, go for it, get your feet wet, and watch what I'll do as you take the first step to obey me. The third possibility, we'll close with this, and then I'll ask the guys forward to serve you communion, is that you can walk in thankfulness in this coming year. We won't read it, but in chapter 4, It says that those who crossed the Jordan River, the leaders had to bring with them a stone out of the midst of the river, out of the bottom. And they carried the stone over to the other side and they piled it up. And that little pile of stones would be a memorial to their children and children's children if they were ever down in the region. And they'd say, Grandpa, what's that pile of stones? They would pause and give thanks to God because he brought them over an impossible situation. He brought them through. So you and I this year have some possibilities. We can walk with God's presence. We can walk with firm confidence on his promises. Go for it. Get your feet wet. But be careful. At the end of every one of those experiences God brings you through, and especially at the end of the year like we're doing today, that there's a memorial of thanksgiving. So much to be thankful for, if you think about it. I'm going to challenge you to live your life in the coming year like looking for particles of metal in a handful of sand. If you were to take a handful of sand and you were to, with your fingers, run your fingers through it to find pieces of metal, you wouldn't find very many. But if you took a magnet and skimmed it over the surface of the dirt, all those invisible particles of metal get stuck on the magnet. An unthankful heart are like fingers that go through the sand. You don't find many of God's mercies. A thankful heart goes through the day, the weeks, the months, like that magnet, and can see so much of God's goodness in bringing them through. And the rendering is, Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. As I pray, I'm going to ask the men of the communion board to come forward, and we'll pass out the elements, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together this morning. Lord, as we think back on the past and we think ahead to the future, so much of what happened during our year we did not expect. We certainly would not have prescribed it. We certainly would have opted for being airlifted from the valley of the shadow of death. But it's your design to keep an uncertainty about our future, and then to mingle our future with difficulty as well as victory. But in the midst of all of it, every battle, every impossibility, to lace that with your promises and the possibility of your presence, the possibility of a life of confidence as we live by faith, and the possibility when it's all done to thank you. And so we offer this communion, Lord, as a memorial. Thanking you for your death on the cross and all of the blessings that issue forth as a result. As you said to the Apostle Paul in Romans, If he did not spare his only son but freely offered him up for us all, how shall he not then with him freely give us all things? So we thank you for the way you've been faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org.